Legal Matters podcast brought to you by the California Association of Realtors. I'm Jana Gardner, here as always with my colleague Dana Spears. Hi everyone. We are excited to be back and hope that you and your families are all staying safe and healthy out there. This month, we are going to talk about a form that is growing in popularity right now. And we expect it will become even more popular as more and more realtors discover the value it provides to their clients. I'm referring to form SPRP. Seller's Purchase of Replacement Property. This form is not terribly complicated, but we will discuss its purpose, how and when to use it, and provide you with tips and suggestions so that you can include form SPRP in your transactions with full understanding and confidence. Shall we get right into it, Jenna? Sure, let's do it. So as we mentioned, today's topic is going to be all about the SPRP form, Seller's Purchase of Replacement Property. And this is a really important form that you want to make sure that you use when you're representing a seller and that (laughs) seller is either unwilling or unable to sell the property they currently own without purchasing a replacement property at the same time. Presumably this way they have somewhere to go. So they're not just left stranded and homeless when they close escrow on the house they're selling. Um, and like I said, this can be because they have to, or they just would feel more comfortable, but either way, if your seller, if you know that your seller needs to get a replacement property, they need to buy something in order to move when their house sells, then the SPRP is the form to use. I know a lot of people will just write language into a counter offer, right? They'll just say contingent on concurrent close of replacement property or right. seller finding property of choice. But then you end up with these vague rights and you don't have any time frames, and no one knows what anybody's rights and responsibilities are. So the SPRP is a really great form to use so that everybody knows what time frames are at play. What does the seller have to do? What does the buyer have to do? And that's what it's there for. That's right. Because those notes, those handwritten notes that you add yourself can really come back to bite you. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure you've had the same experience as I have. It's a very common hotline call when someone calls and says, well, all we have is this one sentence and a counter offer. And you know, what does it mean? And I say, I don't know. <laughs> I wrote it. So the key thing to keep in mind about the SPRP form is that it contains really two contingencies in one, or at least a two-part contingency. It allows the seller time to find and get an offer accepted and enter escrow on a replacement property. And then there is a second step contingency to actually close escrow on that replacement property. So let's go ahead and jump in and talk about how all these different contingencies work. Okay, great. So yeah, let's dig into the form itself. Now at the top, the form, like all of our forms, permits you to attach the SPRP to an offer, counter offer, or other document like all car forms do. It should populate with the rest of your transaction. And then moving down to the first paragraph, I should mention that paragraph 1A and 1B are either or paragraphs. So paragraph 1A is going to apply if your seller still has to locate replacement property. This paragraph is automatically included unless you check 1B. Now, paragraph 1A, as I mentioned, is included by default as long as you don't check 1B. It advises the buyer that the agreement is contingent on seller finding replacement property. It further states that sellers shall remove the finding replacement property within 17 days after acceptance. 
that means that the seller has 17 or blank, which is there, number of days to locate a replacement property, open escrow, and remove the finding replacement property contingency or cancel the agreement. Now, the seller's agent should discuss the amount of time needed to locate property with the seller to decide if the default 17-day period is sufficient. If more time, yeah, I mean, if if they think they may need more time, then, you know, you want to put a longer period, or maybe they want to do something really quick, and there's a lot of properties around, or so, you know, something along those lines, then you can put a shorter amount of time if needed. Mm -hmm. Um, But the important fact here, factor there is that the agent can modify the number of days in paragraph 1A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So if the seller locates a property, he or she would remove their contingency by delivering CAR form CR, contingency removal, to the buyer. We'll talk more about this form later on in the podcast. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if the seller cannot locate the property within the agreed upon time period, the seller can cancel the agreement. Right. So that's the point of the contingency, right? Is that the seller, they have a certain amount of time to look, to try to find a good, to find a property that they can get into contract on. But if they can't, then that's what the contingency is for. And they're able to say to the buyer, sorry, I can't sell to you because I can't find property to buy myself and cancel based on this contingency. Exactly. So that is the whole purpose of this form to give the seller the right to get out of the deal, you know, Mm -hmm. if they can't find property and then remove it if you can. Now, the SPRP also gives the buyer the right to cancel the agreement if the seller fails to remove the contingency within the time period indicated after they first deliver form NSP, notice to seller to perform, to the seller. The NSP requires that the buyer provide seller with two days to deliver the contingency removal to buyer. And if he fails to do so, buyer would have the right to cancel the contract. Mm-hmm. So basically, both parties have a right to cancel if seller cannot find replacement property within the agreed upon time frame. Now, yep. note that the seller can remove the contingency even if he has not found replacement property in order to force the buyer to remain in contract. So if the buyer gives the seller a notice to perform and the seller hasn't found property, but they want to stay in the deal and prevent the buyer from canceling, they would simply go ahead and remove their contingency and they right. stay in the deal. However, um, the agreement would no longer be contingent on their finding replacement property and they would be obligated to vacate the property they're selling by the date of close of escrow. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's indicated in the contract. Yeah, it's gonna, potentially taking a pretty big risk there that they'll yeah, either I be mean, able to work something out or either make it or make a different arrangement. Exactly, because they have to be gone by the close of escrow. So that's pretty risky. I mean, there's yeah, like you said, there's a few options that they have. They can um, find somewhere else to go, maybe a temporary Mm -hmm. housing with a relative or a friend, or maybe moving into a rental unit or something along those lines. Or they could try to extend the SPRP date with the buyer. That's another um, possibility. Or even maybe get a rent back um, from the buyer where they arrange, you know, to stay some for some period of time after close of escrow to locate property while they live in the property. Um, mm. But that's kind of a risky, you know, risky for the buyer. Seller refuses to leave, you know, after yeah. that period is up because he can't find anything. Then, you know, an eviction may have to um, take place, which right. you know, buyers may be reluctant <laughs> to agree to that, that option. So, yeah. Exactly. 
So, you know, that they have to take into consideration as well. So that's yeah. pretty much what 1A is all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that takes us to our alternative, which is 1B. As you mentioned, it's either or. Um, either 1A, seller is still looking for a property, um, or 1B is the box you check if you have a seller who's already entered escrow on a replacement property. So maybe your seller has got written an offer and got it accepted, and now they're putting their house on the market to sell and they are accepting an offer from a buyer. And so you would check 1B. And that is where you are saying that seller has entered into a contract to acquire their replacement property. Um, and this box basically makes it clear that there, there is no finding replacement property contingency by checking this. Because once you check this box, you're, you're not saying we need 17 days to find a property and get an offer accepted. You are saying we already in, are already in contract. We already have an offer accepted. So you don't need a contingency for finding the replacement property. Right. So, so neither buyer or seller have that right I spoke about earlier. Exactly. That really just takes all of that away. You just say we are in escrow um, and the seller does need to put down the name of the escrow holder and the escrow number to verify that they <laughs> approve, you know, the escrow exists. They, they've got an offer accepted and they are in escrow and that information should go there. And then this second part becomes very important, which is if you've checked the box in for 1B, it's very important then that the checkbox in 1C is also checked. This is the part two of the contingency on this form. And this is a contingency for the close of the replacement property. The box in 1C being checked makes it contingent on seller actually closing escrow. So not, not contingent on them getting an offer accepted and finding a replacement property, but actually on closing escrow on that replacement property. Right. So it's very important if the seller's already in escrow. The only point of using this form at that point is to make it contingent on them closing because they're already in escrow. And so I believe that if you are using zip form or really any other um, online forms program, if one B is checked, ideally one C should be auto checked, but you know, never, never rely on technology to do things for you. Even if it's supposed to always double check. So if you are checking the box in one B, make sure that box is checked in 1C also so that your seller now has a contingency for closing on replacement property. So B and C really go together. That being said, C doesn't only go along with B. So basically, what does that mean? You have to have box 1C checked for close replacement property if the seller's already in escrow. But even if the seller's not, your seller might want to have both contingencies in the contract. They might want to have this sort of double contingency in place where they have a certain number of days, 17 to get into contract. And then once they get that offer accepted though, there's no guarantee, right? Necessarily that they're going to be able to close, things might happen. So the seller may want that added protection. They may want a 17 day contingency to get an offer accepted and get into escrow. And then also want the contingency on their ability to close escrow on the replacement property. So that would be something to talk about with the seller if they haven't got into escrow yet say, look, there's a two-part contingency. We can ask for two things here, contingency to find replacement property and contingency to close escrow on replacement property. So if you have a seller who is looking for property, they find it before 17 days, they remove the finding replacement property contingency, that's great. But if 1C is checked, they are still protected 
to make sure that if they cannot close on their replacement property for whatever good faith reason, whatever happens, they can't get their loan or something goes wrong in that transaction. So the other then, party. Right. Change. The other party does something. Exactly. So then they would still have the right to exercise this contingency and say, sorry, buyer, I was not able to close on the replacement property. So I cannot sell to you. Hmm. Which contrast that if you don't have C checked, if you just have 1A and that's it, then once the seller gets into escrow and removes the finding replacement property contingency, they are locked in. And even if that purchase falls out of escrow and doesn't close, seller would not have a right to cancel the contract for the sale of their property. So you want to be very careful when you're representing a seller to make sure you're on the same page and you know what your seller wants Mm -hmm. in terms of finding replacement property and closing. Right. And it's usually a good idea to include one C. <laughs> right. Pretty much. You're pretty much always going to want both, especially if you're coming from a listing agent's perspective. You know, a buyer could counter it, right? A buyer could say, no, we don't want that open-ended closing replacement property contingency. But if you're coming, if you're a listing agent, there's really no reason not to have both. It's the most protective option for a seller. So let's keep that in mind. And then, yeah, I can't really think of an example why if you were on the seller side, you would not want to have that. You pretty much it's always just want to have Just an added advantage for you. You may as well. It, it, exactly. And just one, before we move on to the next, next section here, just one point of clarification, because sometimes people get really confused about the language that says the agreement's contingent on seller's ability to close escrow on the replacement property. It does not mean the seller has to close escrow on the replacement property before they sell their current house. Obviously they probably need to close escrow on their sale first so they can take that money and buy the replacement property. (laughs) You know, the order of events, that's that's probably how it's gonna go. This language, by saying it's contingent on their ability to close, it just means that if any point during the transaction that their escrow falls apart, they can exercise this contingency, cancel their sale, call the whole thing off. Right. And now we can move on to paragraph two. Yep. Paragraph two of the SPRP grants further options to the seller that he might like to take advantage of. By default, paragraph 2A requires that all time periods in the agreement for inspections, contingencies, covenants, close of escrow, and other obligations that commence from the date of acceptance start on the day after the seller delivers to buyer the CAR contingency removal we've been talking about regarding the finding of replacement property. So once they remove that contingency for finding replacement property, that is when by default, all of time periods for counting days and so forth would begin. However, paragraph 2A gives the seller the option to elect to begin counting all time periods immediately according to the terms indicated in the contract. And note that if you elect to start time periods immediately, you're not giving your seller any time to find replacement property before you begin the escrow period for the sale of his property. Mm -hmm. So this is fine, of course, if your seller is already in escrow or entering escrow and planning to close, say, concurrently um, right around the same time because they will have that 30-day period running along with the sale of their own property. However, if they have to find property, you want to make sure that they have time to do it before the close of escrow, if that needs to happen. So um, you either leave the default language in 2A so that the parties start counting days after your seller finds replacement property, ensuring that you're going to then therefore have enough time, or you could increase the number of days on the agreement 
so that it includes enough time for seller to find replacement property and close on it. And, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit further down in the form, but there, there's some other options for the seller as well if they need to maybe mess with timeframes to line up their, exactly. their closings to be concurrent. Um, and honestly, the, the way it's set up in 2A with the default for the delayed time periods is actually pretty beneficial for the buyer as well, because a lot of buyers, you know, once the, they only have 17 days, right, to do their inspections. And so mm-hmm. um, for the buy, from the buyer's perspective, there's a concern about spending a bunch of money on inspections and appraisals only for the seller to say, oh, sorry, wasn't able to find a replacement property. See you later. And the buyers don't get that money back. That's, that's a right. buyer cost that, that is sunk in the transaction. And so it kind of makes sense for both sides, I think, um, to say, okay, well, before we really hit the ground running on our transaction, let's make sure the, buy- the seller can actually find a replacement property. Right. That's why it's basically just easier to leave the default language and start after, unless, of course, you've already found your um, right. It, exactly. Yeah. If the seller's already in escrow on a replacement property, then everything's just going to hit the ground running from the date of acceptance anyway. All right. So paragraph, that's paragraph 2A. Paragraph 2B is basically the same thing, but regarding buyer's deposit. Again, the default language permits buyer to make the deposit three days after seller removes the finding replacement property contingency in writing. And similarly, seller is given the option of having the buyer make his deposit as stated in the contract, which is generally within three business days of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Now, seller will sometimes check the box in 2B for the deposit while leaving the box in 2A unchecked for the time periods. This is right. because they want an immediate show of, you know, good faith commitment to the purchase from the buyer and having them go ahead and make their deposit, you know, pretty much right away um, within those first three days, you know, independent of the fact that they're going to wait until the seller finds a replacement property to actually start all other time periods. Right. And, and that makes sense. You can see why um, from the seller's point of view, they say, well, let's open up escrow. Let's get your earnest money deposit in escrow. So we're all, you know, like you said, show of good faith. Yeah. So that's something for a seller to consider, but the importance of course, of both these paragraphs is the starting time of Mm -hmm. your contract, your underlying contract. Right. So that everyone knows exactly when, when do your timeframe start? When are the buyer's contingencies up? What's your closing deadline? Um, just so that everyone yeah, it's on the same page about all those contractual yeah. deadlines. And and now, of course, we move on to, to see <laughs> which Jana was talking about right. before, um, really gets get more drills down into some of the time period, you know, changes right. the seller can take advantage of. Which could really, yeah. So we sort of talked about the, you know, how A and B come into play to change timeframes, but then 2C gives the seller um, some extra rights that are that are pretty unlike any rights that a seller has normally or in any other form. Yeah. So what 2C is saying is that buyer and seller are agreeing ahead of time that seller can has the right to extend the close of escrow date on this transaction on the sale of their property if they need to close later to accommodate the timing on their purchase of replacement property. Yeah. So you know, like you're saying, maybe, you know, open escrow, you have a set close of escrow date, 30 or 45 days, seller, you know, finds a replacement property, gets into contract, but that contract that they just wrote is also 45 days, or maybe it's 60 days, because maybe that seller wanted a longer escrow. And so maybe the timeframes now aren't lining up like the seller had hoped. 
So what to see allows a seller to do is to basically reserve the right in advance to extend the close on the sale of their property for a maximum of a certain number of days or until a set calendar date right. in order to accommodate that difference. But there's a catch. It's not just an open-ended right to do this whenever they want. The seller can only exercise this right to extend the close of escrow if the seller gives the buyer a written notice um, at the time the seller removes the finding replacement property contingency. So let's say that they, they put in here that they can extend the sale of closing for a maximum of 10 days. You know, just that's, that's the number they put in there the most, the most number of days. Well, when they get their offer accepted on a replacement property to purchase, if they know, oh no, the timing doesn't line up, there's like a five day difference, let's say, then at the time they remove the finding replacement property contingency, they can also notify the buyer at that time, okay, and we're also extending our closing by five days or up to 10, however many they need based on what they put in here to give themselves the right to line those deadlines up so that the contracts can close concurrently or as close to concurrently as they might need to do. Exactly. And as Jenna mentioned, that has to be in writing. And also keep in mind, it has to be, you know, if you, it has, the section has to be filled in, right? You can't leave, if you leave this section blank, then you don't have any days, any, any right to extend by any set time period. Yeah. Right. Again, this has to be only in a situation where the seller is not already an escrow on their replacement property. Because yeah. if they're already an escrow on their replacement property, then they should know what their scheduled close of escrow date. So this is just for, you know, it's not, it's not meant to give sellers extra time to close if their deal starts taking longer than they were expecting. Right. It's just for if they get into contract, they see the timing isn't going to work. They can reserve the right to extend by a set period of time. If the seller needs to extend because their escrow is dragging out later on in the transaction, they can use the extension of time addendum, negotiate for an extension, just like anybody else. Exactly. This right has to be very specifically reserved in advance exercised in writing when the finding replacement property contingency is removed. And that's it. That's the limited circumstance in which a seller could do that. And then finally, paragraph 2D, there's a blank couple of lines here, other terms. If there's any other rights or, or comments that the seller wants to include, this is where you'd include them. Just a couple of blank lines at the bottom of paragraph two there in case there's anything else that needs to be incorporated into the agreement. Right. Now we move on to paragraph three. Mm -hmm. Paragraph three really just clarifies a couple of important issues regarding the use of the form. First, it advises that the seller's finding replacement property contingency and his right to cancel in 1A remain in full force and effect until he either removes the contingency or cancels or until buyer cancels after giving a notice to seller to perform to the seller. And remember, the buyer can do that in 1A or the seller can cancel or, you know, mm -hmm. move their contingency in 1A. So that's mm -hmm. really important to understand. So when the time period ends for seller to find his replacement property, the contingency does not automatically expire. Just like all the contingencies in our contract require active contingency removal. They don't expire automatically at the end of the time period. And so this just, just works the same way, like hopefully everyone's used to from all the other contingencies, yeah. So you have to affirmatively remove the contingency or cancel or the buyer must affirmatively serve that notice and then cancel according to its terms. 
And second, paragraph three stresses that once a buyer receives a written removal of the finding replacement property contingency from the seller, the buyer may no longer cancel the agreement per paragraph 1A. So we kind of hit on that a little bit earlier. Once seller has delivered the contingency removal, a buyer can no longer cancel the agreement, you know, based on that paragraph and say, well, I'm giving you the notice to perform because I'm really tired of this whole, you know, waiting game. Right. Or even like the example you gave, maybe there's a situation where the buyer or the seller, excuse me, hasn't been able to get into contract yet, but they want to keep the sale together. So they just go ahead and remove the contingency. And in that case, yeah, the buyer can't say, well, I'm canceling because you haven't opened escrow on a replacement property. If the seller removes the contingency, that's good enough. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And before we close, we'd like to take a moment to discuss removing the contingencies in this agreement. Sure. Yeah. yeah. A pretty common question I get on the hotline is, well, how how does the seller remove this contingency? Where's the seller contingency removal form? Um, And a lot of people are surprised to find out that there's just the one, there's the CR form. um, And it's the same form that buyer uses to remove contingencies. Seller uses that as well. If you look at the CR form, go all the way to the bottom, there's a small section for seller contingencies. And there's pre-printed boxes to check for you know, sellers finding replacement property contingency and closing escrow on replacement property contingency. So it's that simple. And you know, just make sure if you only want to remove the contingency for finding replacement property, you just check that box right. so that the seller <laughs> only removes that contingency and not the other one. Yeah, and your other one will be preserved until you're ready to- Exactly, until you close or it gets removed due to whatever other reason that, that might come up. Exactly. And that's about it for this form. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you look at the form and the the text of it's really only maybe a third or a half of a page long, but there's quite a bit packed in there. Exactly. A lot of protection. So that's it for this segment then. Yep. I think that about does it. Great. So this wraps up another episode of the Legal Matters podcast. This will be our last episode for 2020. Thanks so much to all of you for sticking with us during this unpredictable year. We hope you enjoyed this episode and all of our episodes so far. If you have enjoyed them, the best way to make sure you never miss an episode is by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, feel free to leave us a review and maybe even a five-star rating. Those reviews and ratings can help other folks find the show. You can also reach out to us here at the podcast directly by emailing us at legalpodcast at car.org. Finally, don't forget about all of the ways CAR Member Legal can help you stay in business and stay out of trouble. Of course, CAR members can call the legal hotline with any questions or issues at 213-739-8282, Monday through Friday, 9 to 6, and Saturday, 10 to 2 for transactional questions. Our other informational and educational materials can be found at car.org under the risk management section. Head over there to check out our Q&As, quick guides, webinars, and more. That's about it. We hope you stay safe and healthy during the holiday season, and we look forward to talking to you again in the new year. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.